Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. His house. What stuff was he talking about? Classified material? Well, we talked about, I mean, the report goes on at length about this. I'd encourage you to, to read it. It talks about, about what he said last <laughs> night. He said the stuff in my house was all in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked. Didn't he put them in his home? I'm, I'm not really following the question. I think that what's clear is that, and I told this to Justin a minute ago, you know, he has personal diaries that he had. Of course he has his personal diaries. The documents that were taken were jumbled up in boxes and found inadvertently in places, and, and that's, that's what happened, so. Thank you. Um, how concerned is the president and, and the team here that the, quote, gratuitous comments are going to damage him, damage public perception of him? I think the public is smart, and I think that they can see uh, what's going on. I think that what we can see is that you, Ian Sam's White House Counsel Office spokesperson, is trying to tell us that nothing went wrong, even though many things went wrong. That the report from the special counsel, Robert Hur, last name H U R, clearly says that Joe Biden had and willfully had classified documents in his possession including those that were labeled top secret, including those that should have been in a skiff, which is a special compartmentized uh, information facility. These things should never have been in his garage where his drug-addled son would have had access to them. And that's not me insulting Hunter Biden for his drug I issues. That's a reality. That is a danger, which is why people like myself and people like you wanted to know who was visiting the Biden uh, Delaware house. And the Secret Service like, well, we don't keep logs of that. The hell you don't keep logs of that. That's a lie. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. That Ian Sams could say this in the press conference or in the press briefing today. Why did he do that? Because the president takes classified information seriously. He always has. He did not intentionally take classified documents. That simply is not the case according to... The special counsel, Robert Hur. Are you calling him a liar? Are you calling the DOJ a liar? Because it is the DOJ, and this part is fascinating. If you missed my conversation, I'll share it with you. My conversation with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com, because uh, I want to talk to him about the 25th Amendment. Because as you've heard me say, Joe Biden has to go, and the cabinet has to remove him. This can't stand. The man is not okay. The man is not in control of his faculties. The report states that Joe Biden is an elderly man with poor memory. And that is exactly why they didn't put him on the stand. Meaning they didn't charge him with anything. Because on the stand, he would be this sympathetic figure. Sympathetic figure. What in the world am I supposed to do with that information? If he's not capable of being charged because of his poor memory, how can he run a country? One of the things mentioned in the report is he did not recall within years when his son, Bo Biden, died. This is how Joy Behar of The View responded to it. And by the way, before I continue with this, 
Why do, would he want to remember the day that his son died? Why? You want to block that out of your head. You want to remember no, when he, he was I, alive. I, That's insane. That is insane. And shame on Alyssa Farah, the so-called conservative on the panel, who didn't say, we're done here, you're crazy. This is the argument we've been making for the last few days, and it should be known that we were having this conversation before anybody else in earnest. Plenty of people discussed that Biden's not okay. We were the first to discuss he has to go. He has to go. None of this is going to work. The country before the party, the country before politics at all times. Why would he want to remember when his son died? That's, you're so desperate to protect, you're not willing to see what you're doing. You'll protect the party by endangering the country. Can I ask, what is your value? The answer is none. None. Now, we're going to be digging into all this. There are going to be ramifications next week. Will Attorney General Merrick Garland have a job? i got to assume so. But, man, now this is a question. The White House will not say whether Biden's going to fire Attorney General Garland for allowing this to be public. Now we should ask why he allowed it to be public. But let's break down the 25th Amendment and where the legal and possibly political options are. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tem of the Senate and the speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. That is the 25th Amendment. Now, it goes on to discuss how the president can then push back, how this would then go to Congress to make a decision. But this is a question of whether or not we are at the place of invoking the 25th Amendment and removing Joe Biden from office. I have made my argument clear. The answer is yes. His cognitive decline is real no matter what the White House says. His issues are on full display for the world, no matter what MSNBC says. His office can spin all they want. What do you say then to Americans who have that concern and they see three times in just a couple days the president getting the name of a leader wrong and referencing somebody who is deceased? So look, again, as you just stated in your question to me, I, I just laid out um, other, other leaders in their community or elected officials who have done the same. Uh, so it is not, uh, uh, not uncommon. Look, as it, relates to, as it relates to what the American people feel or what the American people think, I want to be really careful because you did ask me that question in, in a context of the election, so I can't really speak to the election. That's Corinne Jean-Pierre just not wanting to answer the question. To misspeak, to confuse a name does happen. To say that you had a conversation with somebody who's been dead since 1996 doesn't always happen. And to have the special counsel looking into your willful taking 
of classified documents say I'm not going to bring charges because this is an elderly man with a poor memory who took very long gaps in trying to answer questions, who had a hard time figuring out the answers to questions, who forgot when his son passed away. Is that somebody you're allowed to be leader of the free world? William Jacobson joins us right now, Cornell Law Professor. He is the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I started, sir, with a conversation of the 25th Amendment. I'd like for you, uh, in, in your capacity, take us through it. How does it work? How would it be enacted? And what rights does the president have to say, wait a second, I've got my uh, faculties, I'm back in power? actually in the 25th Amendment, Section 4. And so to, to kick it off is relatively simple. All you need is the vice president and a majority of the principal officers of the executive departments, which I think is understood to be the cabinet, uh, majority of the cabinet and the vice president to decide that the president is unable to fulfill his duties, his powers and duties. There's no definition of what it means to be unable to discharge the powers and duties, but that's the language, you know, in, in the 25th Amendment. So I think it's up to them to decide that. It's not much like impeachment is a very political act. So is this. And they would have to make a decision whether he's incapacitated in some manner, uh, whether it be, um, you know, mentally or physically or otherwise. And then uh, they present that to the uh, Senate and the Speaker of the House. And uh, then the president has a right to object to it. And then it goes to a vote in the House uh, and the Senate. So we are now in the place where we're asking this question. And I have uh, made, I've laid down my marker. I, I have said, yes. Does the special counsel's report, is, is that something that could be utilized as a way uh, of the cabinet saying, if the special counsel isn't going to bring the charges because he can't actually defend himself on the stand? Because that's what the argument is. The idea that he has a poor memory means he cannot defend himself on the stand. That's enough to say that the man is incapacitated and cannot be president. Is, can that is it, is, it, is it fair to say that that special counsel report could kick this off, or really it could just be casual observation? Well, I think it both. I mean, it could kick it off, and it could be casual observation. I'm trying to recall it. I think what they said is that they, didn't, they thought he would come across to a jury as an elderly person with faulty memory. I don't know if they said he's incapable of defending himself, uh, that's a different standard that would be in court being declared, you know, mentally incompetent to stand trial, as opposed to a prosecutor making a decision that somebody's going to be really sympathetic to a jury and will never get a conviction because they'll just, it's what I call the Uncle Leo defense uh, from Seinfeld that, oh, I'm old, I'm forgetful, the elderly make mistakes. I mean, that might prevent a conviction. So, Uh, I'm not sure it's a declaration that he's mentally incompetent, and I'm not sure that a declaration of mental incompetence is necessary under the 25th Amendment. Remember, it's a a political act, just like impeachment. There's undefined terms. And so it is whatever the majority of the cabinet and the vice president decide it means. But certainly the fact that this is now out in the public, certainly the fact that this was a Department of Justice special counsel finding, a special counsel appointed by Merrick Garland, 
Um, Merrick Garland, I believe, has the right to contest special counsel findings. I don't think he's done that here. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's powerful. It puts enormous public pressure. It starts the debate. Whether it goes anyplace is not really an objective factor. It's, it's up to the cabinet and the vice president. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Just for the sake of clarity, no, the special counsel did not say he's incapacitated. I am saying that stating that he is an elderly man with poor memory, in my view, is the conversation that he's incapacitated. Just for the, for the sake of, of clarity, the 25th Amendment as a political act and impeachment as a political act, there has been a conversation out there. I first saw it from, from Hugh Hewitt. Uh, that a one-page impeachment. So, uh, put read the uh, special counsel's report into the record, into a congressional record, and bring the impeachment that indeed the president is incapacitated. They could. I mean, we talk about it as a political tool all the time. Th- that that is enough, correct? In, in the conversation of high crimes and misdemeanors, that's just really a catch-all statement. You can impeach for anything, and certainly incapacitation could be one of those things. Well, I think that would be a little bit uncharted territory. That's, you know, arguably you've got the, you know, 25th Amendment for that, not the impeachment process. But impeachment is ill-defined. I'm not sure that's a high crime or misdemeanor to be an elderly man with a bad memory. Uh, But they could try it. And then the question is, there's nobody's going to stop them if they can pass an impeachment on that basis. But it would have to be a conviction in the Senate. And so then it would, you know, be up to the senators to decide whether that's a ground. Uh, So, yeah, this is all politics here. And, uh, you know, I would think, you know, Biden's a fairly stubborn person, uh, has been his whole political career, uh, fairly nasty person, has been his entire political career. Certainly there were no signs in his press conference last night that he's ready to give it up. Uh, But if people were to go to him and say, look, We think there are the votes in the cabinet to replace you. Please don't make us do it, okay? Um, Maybe he would change his mind. I'm not convinced he would, okay? I'm not convinced he would because, you know, in his mind, he's still that scrappy kid from Scranton, (laughs) you know, know, uh, staring down corn pop or whatever the name was, Uh, you know. So, I, I mean, part of being incapacitated is the inability to make rational decisions, and you would think a rational decision for him would be, look, handwriting's on the wall. Kamala is going to depose me with the cabinet. Let me just resign for the good of the country. Uh, but I'm not convinced he would do that. As you write uh, over there at LegalInsurrection.com, you talk about the Uncle Leo defense. You, you, you quote uh, things about the report. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended. If it was 2013, when did I stop being vice president? Question mark is the actual quote. And forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began. Quote, in 2009, am I still vice president? Uh, Unquote. He had difficulty remembering the timing of his son Bo's death, as well as a debate about Afghanistan. And the report states, quote, he did not remember, even within several years, when his son Bo died. To a conversation of just how the law sees things. Is there a standard under the law by which courts determine dealing with any uh, plaintiff or defendant 
that they utilize to determine whether or not what, you know someone is competent to stand trial or whether or not comp- someone is competent to bring the lawsuit to begin with? Well, in terms of competency to stand trial, there, there clearly are standards. I can't say whether they're uniform across all the states, but kind of the general idea is the person able to understand what's going on is the person able to participate in his own defense. Uh, I think that's kind of a generalized standard. They may, I'm sure there are nuances depending on the state you're in. So uh, there's nothing in this report that indicates he's incapable of understanding what's going on around him uh, or that he's incapable of defending his position on things. So I don't think he would be declared unfit you know, mentally incompetent to stand trial in a court. He's just, but but should he be sitting in the Oval Office, you know, with control of the nuclear codes? Okay, that's a very different standard. So I don't think this court standard is one we really should be focusing on because we're not in court and he's not charged, you know, um, he's not charged with the crime and asserting as a defense that he's incompetent to stand trial. I think so, we can need to look at, is it in the interest of the country to have a guy who can't remember basic details of his own life uh, and who confuses people all the time and confuses country or countries all the time in the present? Is, is that the person who should be sitting in the Oval Office as commander-in-chief making decisions? And the excuse that they've offered up is, well, a lot of these, this interview with the special counsel came soon after the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th. Well, that's precisely when we need somebody who can think clearly in a crisis. So that's more, the defense is more troubling than, than the original accusation that he was unable to remember things and to think clearly because it was a time of crisis. That's not the person we want in the Oval Office. And I think so that, that makes it even worse. So I, I don't like focusing on this court standard because it's really not applicable here. And I think it actually aids, helps Joe Biden stay in office if the standard is whether you're mentally competent to stand trial in a court. Now it's a, uh, we, I'll ask you the question while I've still got a minute left outside of, uh, of, of the legal. You're an observer. You, 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 we, we see you engaged in conversations not only with us on, on Tony Katz today, but, but, but across the, the, the media sphere. Uh, you're, you're, you spend your time on, on the Cornell campus and you have your own issues there with, with anti-Semitism and, and DEI and, and, and a whole host of, of, of bigotry issues that, that you fight daily. While I still have a minute, is there a turning in your view of the tide on this that very clearly even Democrats will start saying, we've got a problem here? Well, I think Democrats know they have a problem, whether they're willing to say it publicly, whether they're willing to um, do something about it uh, is a different question. And I think, you know, they will make a cold calculation as to whether they think the president, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, as he exists, can beat Donald Trump. I mean, that's going to be their decision. I don't think they're going to worry about weightier issues about what's in the good of the nation to have him in the White House. They will reach an internal decision. Can Biden, as he currently exists, beat Trump? And can we keep him in the basement like we did in 2020 and not allow him to do these press conferences again? This was a huge mistake to put him out there. My guess is he demanded it. Well, so, that, I, I that, but that was a, a fear move from the White House, which we'll discuss yeah. another time. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you being with us. More on that and... 
President Trump seemed to look very good in keeping himself on the Colorado ballot. We'll discuss that next. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I'm of the view, as you know, that the conduct of the response in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. The gate that President Biden is referring to is the Rafa gate. That gate would be between Gaza, is at the end of Gaza, and that gate, uh, the deal to do that was opened by Egypt, where al-Sisi is the president, not of Mexico, but of Egypt. This happened during the press conference where Joe Biden, responding to the special counsel report that said, yes, indeed, he had classified documents and willfully took the classified documents and stated that no charges would come because a jury would see him, that's my word, jury, would see him as a elderly man with a poor memory. Going on to say that it took Joe Biden a lot of time to answer questions. Joe Biden was not sure when he was vice president. Joe Biden could not remember within years when his son, Bo Biden, died. And so responding to this, this idea that somehow his mental acuity is right on track he refers to al-Sisi as the president of Mexico. But within that commentary was another conversation, one that got kind of brushed over. Joe Biden just said that Israel's response to the terrorists, Hamas, the murder of 1,300, the setting of children on fire, the raping of women was over the top? And how about the fact that there was a press conference to begin with? Something else that not enough people are discussing. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything I do over at TonyKatz.com. Noah Rothman joins me right now, a senior writer at National Review. His latest book, The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun, that's available at Amazon.com or wherever fine books are, are sold. His latest piece, An Unmitigated Disaster, discussing this press conference. But before we get to that, I want to get to this comment, this over-the-top comment. Israel's response is over-the-top. You heard that, Noah. What was your take of it? Instantly, um, revulsion. That was a grossly irresponsible comment, one that is not reflective of the views of his own administration, um, which hardly inspires confidence in the president's mental acuity. The idea that uh, as you say, Israel is somehow unjustified in its response here, is not an opinion that appears to be shared by his national security spokesman, uh, Admiral John Kirby, who has said on repeated occasions that the extent to which 
uh, Israel is going to protect civilians, to pull its punches, to telegraph its punches, extend well beyond anything even the United States would do in defense of its interests. The effort to uh, introduce humanitarian aid, medical aid, even at the risk of, in fact, the understanding that it will go and fall into Hamas's hands, at least a vast portion of it, but only in order to appease its critics in the West, is something to which no army engaged in an existential conflict with an adversary that wants to eradicate its people would do. The military historian Andrew Roberts, Sir Andrew Roberts, perhaps one of the preeminent military historians of our age, has said that the casualty rate in what is essentially urban combat throughout this very densely populated region amounts to approximately two to one, which is unheard of in the modern era. It's virtually impossible to achieve that level of discrimination. And yet the Israelis have achieved it. So what the president is doing here is giving voice to a fantasy, one that is shared by Israel's fanatical critics, some of whom um, the president counts among his constituencies and who are very upset that Joe Biden is continuing to stand beside Israel in its defensive war against a genocidal terrorist organization. That's unconscionable. And he went on in ways that further degrade America's uh, mission here. I don't know if you have that clip. I think I, I think I do. Let me see if I can continue it here. I talked to I convinced him to open the gate. I talked to Bibi to open the gate on the Israeli side. I've been pushing really hard, really hard to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza. There are a lot of innocent people who are starving, a lot of innocent people who are in trouble and dying. And it's got to stop, number one. Number two, I was also in the position that I'm the guy that made the case that we have to do much more to increase the amount of material going in, including fuel, including other items. I've been on the phone with the Qataris. I've been on the phone with the Egyptians. I've been on the phone with the Saudis to get as much aid as we possibly can into Gaza. There are innocent people and innocent women and children who are also in bad, badly need of help. And so that's what we're pushing. And I'm pushing very hard now to deal with this hostage ceasefire because, as a, you know, I've been working tirelessly in this deal. How can I say this without revealing it? To lead to a sustained pause. So that conversation of a sustained pause, let's get to that. But just for the sake of clarity, the numbers that come out from something called the Gazan Health Ministry are numbers from Hamas. They say 27,000 dead. You heard President Biden there talking about women and children dead. When Benjamin Netanyahu spoke about this the other day, he said 20,000 terrorists, Hamas terrorists, were 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 dead. So it was it the, the continual utilization of Hamas numbers as somehow they're accurate, or was it uh, going forward in in that clip um, th- this idea that he keeps pushing Israel, but somehow Israel is obstinate? It's that um, he can he went on to say that while he's pushing for this um, short term ceasefire, it is his intention to extend that short fire short-term ceasefire into something indefinite. Um, He thereby revealed to Israel that it has absolutely no interest in and should absolutely reject short-term ceasefires, because the President of the United States will use that opportunity to all but uh, foreclose on Israel's military objective, which is the destruction of Hamas. Israel would be insane 
to agree to any ceasefire at this point, understanding that the president's intention is not to secure any short-term goal, but to put an end to the war entirely. If that was his objective, he utterly sacrificed it with that admission. Previously, as he said, how can I say this without revealing too much? Too late! You blew it! Subsequently, as you say about these Hamas figures, the administration proper, not the president, his administration doesn't recognize those figures. Why? Because they're nonsense. Hamas retails numbers that it pulls from the air. The minute there's an, an ordinance explodes somewhere in Gaza territory, this organization, the Hamas uh, Gaza Health Ministry, whatever it calls itself, has pinpoint accurate figures about casualties, all of whom are civilian, and it can identify the women and children among them. And yet we also understand that there is no civilian authority, no military authority left in the Gaza Strip. There's no revision to these numbers, which is quite unlike Israel. Israel initially, after the October 7th massacre, uh, was uh, telegraphing, retailing figures about casualty numbers that ended up being too high. And they revised them downwards weeks after they began identifying some of these bodies, some of which were mangled beyond recognition. That's what a responsible, transparent state does. They actually retail numbers that make sense and have some backing. And if they're wrong, they're revised, sometimes downward. That is not something you can say about the Hamas Health Ministry, because it has no interest in real figures, real numbers. It broadcasts propaganda, and those who reiterate that propaganda, who disseminate that propaganda, are advancing Hamas's objectives. The Biden administration doesn't do that. Joe Biden does. Talking to Noah Rothman of National Review, his latest book, The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against the Progressives' War on Fun, available at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. You have the piece over at National Review, an unmitigated disaster, and you saw, I, I think you beat me to the punch on, on, on social because I spend less time uh, writing on, on, on X and more time just yelling you. at my phone. Uh, <laughs> the story here regarding the Joe Biden press conference isn't as much the special counsel report, which is pretty damn damning. It is the idea that the White House was so absolutely terrified of it that they risked putting Joe Biden on primetime television at 8 p.m. True or false? Uh, obviously true. In fact, there's a theory that I, I kind of am partial to, but it's just a theory that this is all Joe Biden's idea because it was so spectacularly ill-advised and ineptly executed that who else could conceive of it? No other practiced political figure with an interest in their own pres- preserving their own career would have advised this flurry of activity in which the president engaged in conspicuous activity, especially a press conference after 8 p.m. The guy's hours are well known to be 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Outside that window, you're not going to get what you think you're going to get. And that's exactly what we got. Joe Biden could have used this report, damning though it was, as a springboard. The report was, was very critical of his mental faculties, and that would have hurt. But the president could have waved it off and allowed the expectations to be set very, very low for him so that in a week or two, I think it's a week and a half, when he has a State of the Union address, he could more than beat those expectations by being well rested, by delivering a speech on a teleprompter to the letter and therefore have basked in the glory of the media's desire, desperate desire to undermine the conclusions in Robert Hur's report. Instead, because they were so terrified and so insecure in their candidate, 
They went out and communicated in no uncertain terms how absolutely scared to death they are of its conclusions and sought to refute them in the worst possible way. The report maintains that Joe Biden is a well-meaning, friendly, affable, decrepit old man. Joe Biden took to the stage in order to and was determined to refute those that, you know, that condition, that that assertion. But he didn't refute the decrepit part. All he managed to refute was the affable part. He presented the most cantankerous face he could possibly muster to the American people. He looked irritated. He was bewildered. He was uh, aggravated. And he was very uh, hostile to a press, which was acting, which was asking, with the exception of Peter Ducey, not exceptionally pointed questions. But he could not abide it. He was trying to demonstrate something like engagement. But what came off was just churlishness in a way that was very off-putting. If there was an objective here, it was not met. To that end, let me share this with you. This is from MSNBC. Willie Geist asking the question to Congressman Dan Goldman on Morning Joe, where, and I, I will say this, you don't have to agree or disagree with me, Noah. Years ago, Noah Rothman was a regular on that show, and it was the intellectual morning show. Noah has since moved on to better things, and Lord only knows what has happened to Joe Scarborough. I say it. I mean it, Noah, so help me God I say it when you're with me or when you're not on, on, on the show. I can't believe what has happened with that program. I want you to hear Congressman Dan Goldman of New York. Even some Democrats cringing a little because it raises an issue that's been out there. Do you have any concerns at all, not just because of what we read in this report, which a lot of uh, people on this show don't think should have been in the report, but do you have concerns right now about President Biden's age as it moves toward the general election? No, I don't have any concerns. And, and that's from personal interactions. Um, he's got a, a terrific team around him. He is very knowledgeable and experienced. Um, and he has even recently um, completely dominated the Republicans. You look at the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Uh, he did a fabulous job. And my understanding is that he was behind the scenes. And with because of his experience negotiating over so many different years, uh, he knew exactly where the negotiation was going to go. And he took Kevin McCarthy's shirt. There's a real question, Noah, about Will Democrats circle the wagons? In this, Dan Goldman has never found a sword that he won't fall on. It actually looks like he's taking place in a, a taking a part in a hostage video, the way he looks in, in, in this piece. Democrats really willing to circle the wagons around Joe Biden at this stage? Well, first, let me say that I appreciate your compliment, and I bear no ill will to my friends on MSNBC or Morning Joe. I think it's a fantastic program. It was when I was there, and it still is. And to be fair to Democrats, you can make the case that Robert Hur's assessment of Joe Biden's mental acuity was ill-placed in a recommendation against prosecution. Why? Because there was never, ever going to be any prosecution of the sitting president. If he had recommended indictment, it wouldn't have gone through until the president was out of office. This is an academic exercise. So why introduce that? The reason why you introduce that is because Robert Hur's assessment here is that there would not be a successful prosecution of prosecutable violations of the law because of the president's mental faculties. He would present a sympathetic case. That's necessary to include in this report if it's a comprehensive report and not a snow job, which is what Democrats certainly would have preferred. They didn't get it. Um, to the extent that Dan Goldman is rallying around the president is only because they have no option. They have no choice. The party isn't going to abandon their incumbent president. 
I just it's just not going to happen. There's some sort of fantasy that there's going to be a 1968 style intervention in the convention that would overturn all the votes, all the pledged delegates, everything would go right out the window and Democrats will replace the whole ticket because Kamala's got to go too, obviously, right? The memory of that, the institutional memory of that within the Democratic coalition is 1968. And 1968 didn't go well for the party. Um, They're not going to repeat it. So the party has very little options here other than to um, polish this apple in ways that, uh, that are electorally advantageous. It's not convincing to either of us. It ultimately may not be convincing to voters, but they have no other option. Noah Rothman, National Review. We're going to discuss this uh, further, and we might place money on that bet. Um, we're, we might place, uh, honestly, I think you might pay my mortgage on that bet. We're going to discuss this in the future. Noah Rothman, National Review. Check his work there, nationalreview.com. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. question whether or not Joe Biden would fire Merrick Garland. It's it's a statement that it was a question that was brought up in, in, in the briefing today to Ian Sams, who is the spokesperson for the White House Counsel. I'm surprised that reporters even brought it up. But this report, the special counsel report, this response from Joe Biden, it's it we're not over talking it. As a matter of fact, I think we're under talking it. There's a lot here. And you're not wrong. He can't stay. The country is in peril with him in power. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Monday, everyone. Take care.